This is the Planetary Potential Podcast. For those who are eager to explore entrepreneurship, innovation, and cross-cultural communication in exciting and interesting places around the world. And now, here's your host, Andrew P. Rowan. Welcome to Episode 13 of Season 1. What is the future of social enterprises and impact investing in Latin America? This week, I sit down with Javier Gondo, Portfolio Manager for the Andean Region at Nest, a social enterprise consultancy and impact investor that has invested more than $18 million and has supported more than 180 social enterprises since 1997. In our interview, Javier shares his views on the opportunities and challenges of working with social enterprises, why there's been increased interest in impact investing in recent years, and some metrics used to gauge impact. An important reminder that opinions shared in this episode are those of individual guests. For more information, please visit www.andrewprowen.com disclosures. Javier and I also discuss what it's like being part of the Japanese diaspora in Peru via one of the country's great migration waves, his experience studying in New York City, and what it was like living through Hurricane Sandy in 2012. Let's get started. With me is Javier Gondo. He is the portfolio manager of the Andean region here at Nest. We are at the Nest office in Lima, Peru. Welcome, Javier. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really happy to get to know more people in the startup scenery from all over the world. So, Yeah. So can you talk a bit about Nest in general? Uh, I know it's an organization that's been around for about 20 years. And then specifically about your role here as portfolio manager of the Andean region. Uh, Yes. So, well... Globally, Nest has been around around uh, 20 years. Particularly in Peru, it's a little bit more than 12 years, and it has had uh, like quite a, an evolution around these 12 years. We, in this time, we have always focused on uh, working with uh, startups and well, entrepreneurs, uh, but social entrepreneurs focused on generating different types of impact. Uh, initially impact on well, all over the place, so different types of impacts from access to water, uh, sewage, uh, electricity, and now we have uh, in the past five years uh, we decided to focus on uh, two specific types of impacts uh, which are uh, job generation and income improvement, both of them focused on uh, vulnerable communities. Okay, so job generation and income improvement Focusing on vulnerable communities, does that mean communities outside of Lima? Yeah, so it's all over, well, it's in the Indian region, initially working in Peru, mm-hmm. so the whole country. And uh, the Andean focus, it was uh, started around uh, three years ago. Okay, so for the Andean region, uh, which countries are those specifically? Uh, so thankfully, we look at, well, uh, Peru. Uh, given that we started here mm-hmm. in these 12 years, uh, but also Colombia, uh, Ecuador, uh, Bolivia, and we also are open to, to, to checking uh, opportunities in Chile and Argentina. Uh, but um, more actively, we're between Colombia and Peru. I see. So how did you decide to focus on these two pillars then? Uh, the, the the two types of impacts. Yes. I think that from the experience before, 
the the focus was chosen given that uh, and this is my my own guess uh, from the experience working with mm-hmm. uh, with the co-founders and I feel that it's because from there those two types of impacts is kind of the starting point where uh, the the social enterprises can also uh, develop the other types of, of impacts so generating an income stream or if it's by a, through a job or uh, by generating an activity, an economic activity to the vulnerable communities, it provides them with the income that can also facilitate accessing these other types of impacts, education, um, mm-hmm. well, healthcare, and other types of impacts. So that's, that's my guess from that. So in a way, it's sort of like the foundational impact, right? And then once you're able to address those needs, you can then spread out beyond that initial impact? Yes, and also because the, uh, the kind of the philosophy of the entrepreneurs, they can be generating that, but given that they, they focus a lot on improving the quality of life of those communities, that's one of their main goals, uh, they start by providing this uh, well income stream, Mm-hmm. But additionally, given that they worry and they are very, uh, they care about the, the communities, they also start giving the connection. They start providing them with these other types of, uh, of services, for example. So in terms of measuring impact, is it as simple as number of jobs created and percentage of income increase, or does it get a bit more detailed than that? Yeah, so the, the initial stage is that, it's as simple as that, uh, learning about how many jobs they are creating or how many um, like suppliers or partners they are um, including within the, the value chain of the company, mm-hmm. uh, but also measuring, oh, well, also the, the, the amount of income that is being generated to them, what percentage of this represents from their whole family income, but also uh, starting to evaluate, and this depends on, on every company. Mm-hmm. If the company also uh, is very focused on uh, generating um, a positive environmental impact, we would also uh, seek for the right indicators for measuring that. Also, uh, regarding the quality of life of these communities, we would also go and visit the, some of the different communities every year and see, uh, well, what their situation is comparing it to before, not only on income, but also services that they are accessing, if they also are accessing, for example, the, uh, the financial system or healthcare, if uh, the company also provides them with uh, some sort of training, uh, we also measure that those, those indicators. So it's a bit more holistic then from a quality of life point of view. Yeah. Okay. And so can you share some examples about, for example, if you have case studies, what has been the average uh, job creation or income increase? Yeah, so I think that that actually depends on the, on the company it varies because uh, we have worked, even though we focus on an early stage of, mm-hmm. of the social enterprises, but we have had uh, companies uh, starting and entering the portfolio with as uh, low as $15,000 of uh, annual revenues to companies uh, that, ha- that have um, $600,000 on, on revenue. So still in a small size, yeah. uh, but you can see a, a big difference between those. And, sure. and you can see in the smaller cases, you, can, you could be working with uh, 12 uh, families and the income improvement as a percentage would be around 70% increase. 
um, and in the case of uh, these larger companies it would be uh, around a hundred uh, different jobs created or uh, working with a uh, hundred different people um, connected within the value chain and uh, the percentage increase there was around 40% mainly because of the stage or maybe the area where they are focused that's why the, the big difference between a 70% increase and a 30% increase right. but monetarily, uh, uh, well in monetary terms I would say it would be pretty similar around an increase of 100,000, oh, sorry, $1,000 uh, per month. Yeah, that's an important point to make that the context matters, right, between a 70% increase from a $15,000 starting point versus a 40% increase from a $600,000 starting point. Can you talk a bit about what is the regulation like for social enterprises in the region, so not just here in Peru, but in, in Colombia, is it more or less the same, or are there differences when you are working across countries? Yeah, so I would say between Colombia and Peru, it's pretty similar. So it's very, it's still very nascent, uh, very basic. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in countries like Argentina, they already have a uh, a figure, a legal structure, a legal figure of uh, social enterprise. Uh, we have here and in Colombia uh, the um, the V certificate, uh, which is not like uh, within the, the law structure, but it provides a certain level of uh, certification that the companies are focused on generating one type of impact, or at least one. Is that an industry certification or is that self-certification? Uh, so there's this organization called, oh, so the certification is being B Corp. Okay. Um, uh, and this is an international organization who provides the certification. So they have a uh, team here that is focused on uh, well doing the due diligence. Like anyone can can uh, can fill the survey that they have. Yeah. It's a very long but very detailed um, survey where you can actually see the different types of impacts and see how much you're actually focusing or really clear on how to generate that impact. Uh, but then the certification actually applies when you fill the, the survey, but you have an interaction with the team, they do the due diligence and verify that you're actually doing what you say you're doing. So it, it, it is uh, actually a pretty well, long process, mm -hmm. uh, but I think that it's pretty good uh, and very uh, detailed, uh, like due diligence process. So, so that seems to be the standard here in, in Peru and yeah. in Colombia currently. And, well, and particularly in Peru, there is currently in the Congress, uh, they're, they're discussing uh, to create a figure of, um, uh, of, of uh, well, an actual V Corp. Mm. So a social enterprise uh, within right. the legal structure, we have the Sociedades Anonymas, Empresas de Responsabilidad Limitada, but within this, uh, we would have a Sociedad Anónima, um, but with a social benefit purpose. So okay. that's what they're discussing right now, and this would be mainly to have a, a, just a label. So to have an actual regulation and an ID that tells that the company wants to have this uh, social purpose. Uh, if they if there would be any benefit, not right now, mm -hmm. but at least it's a good starting point to have 
like the group of companies that have this type of characteristic, uh, have them separate. How open is that legislative process here? For example, if you wanted to submit what Nest believes should be the definition of a social enterprise, would legislators here be open to receiving that? Well, well, entering into into politics, it's it's quite complicated here. There have been a lot of different scandals from corruption and to the the public, uh, well, the I don't know how to say it, but there's a, a lot of um, discomfort from from the public in general mm-hmm. on how the government is being uh, well managed between well presidents, but also in the Congress. Um, so it, it, it's a tough, uh, it's a it's a tough tough topic, but I think that uh, in general, it well the, at least for entering a, a proposal for the Congress, it's not that it's easy, but there are channels to uh, contact some of the congressmen, um, or uh, well there's an association for. Uh, entrepreneurs here, and they one of the main purpose of, of this association mm-hmm. is actually that to have that communication with uh, different representatives in the Congress, so that uh, the message from the organizations can actually flow towards them. It's still not easy because it's one thing to get the message across to one group, yeah. and then when it goes to the Congress, if it gets to as an actual proposal, yeah. um, it's very difficult to have the all the different parties online because here there are a lot of different parties. They're all uh, after their own uh, purposes. Sure. So even if they are aligned with the the objective that you have, um, they might think of something that they might want in the future to actually provide that approval. So it's it's a, a very complicated um, well, process, but I think that um, this proposal that has been sent yeah. was done uh, like very orderly. I don't know what the end, uh, well, end le- legislation or end product would be, but at least it's, it's a good starting point and it's also making uh, a positive externality of making people aware of uh, social enterprises. Right. So yeah. That's that's one of the the positive things that are actually happening there. Yeah. So uh, I was thinking the same thing. If the final definition in this bill is aligned with Nest's definition, then that's great in terms of potential intake for your portfolio or even having folks realize that they're actually running a social enterprise, um, which I'm going to ask you now, does, does that happen in a sense where you have to convince certain companies that they are in fact a social enterprise, but they just look at it as we're just running a business? Yeah, well, I, I think that on that sense, uh, I think it's, it, it's a little bit of both things that uh, yes, there are, well, we have like two types of social entrepreneurs here. Well, technically three types. Uh, but the main two are, well, the ones that are really focused on, uh, the, well, the ones that started uh, their business to actually generate that impact. And then you also have, uh, which is the, the most common. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second most important is the, the ones that you mentioned, the ones who have a business um, and they, they, because of their, I don't know if, if it's their values or how they, they think about a business, 
uh, they already incorporate all these different practices that, that you would say, oh, they're actually uh, valuing the hard work from their workers. They're also valuing a lot the work from uh, their suppliers or their distributors. So they already incorporate those, uh, let's say, like fair prices or uh, like equality uh, or equal rights and benefits to the different stages of the, of the value chain. So I think that's an, uh, uh, an important group also. We, in the portfolio at Nest, we have a few of them that actually are like that, that they were already incorporating all this, and we ran into them, we met them, learned more about their companies, and we actually saw that they were a natural social enterprise and actually told them, well, the, there's this concept, and they realized that they're uh, a social enterprise. And... Um, on that sense, I would say, I don't know if like either of those uh, types of uh, entrepreneurs, of social entrepreneurs is better because at least in my point of view, eventually, uh, like social enterprises or impact investing, it, there would be a moment in time where it would just be enterprises or companies and investing because uh, the, the companies would already, any company would already be incorporating all these different values and, and processes. That's one, one, one thing that I hope that would happen eventually, but um, I think that's where we are uh, going to. This convergence between social enterprises and impact-driven businesses, let's say, that are going to be combined into more or less the same type of business in the future, do you think that's more influenced by the investment side that is saying these are the requirements that we're going to have in order to make an investment in your types of companies, which value, of course, the marketplace, the labor market, the community, balancing those needs and dispersing those benefits equitably? Or is it coming from the business side, the private sector itself, saying, okay, like doing good is good for business and we want to, of course, increase our margins and these are some of the ways that we can do that? Uh, that's a, a tough one because I, I think that uh, it's a little bit of both and also, well, at least here in, in Latin America, mm -hmm. I would say it's both and also a third one uh, because, so there are a couple of organizations like Nest, uh, a lot of them have uh, been um, well, foreign, uh, investing in the region, uh, especially in Peru, that it's, uh, there are a lot of different foundations, like family foundations, mm -hmm. but focused in very specific uh, types of impact. For example, um, a family that has had, like a wealthy family here in Peru, has had a, a, a relative who suffers for, of a, a specific uh, type of uh, disease. So they decided to start this uh, family foundation focused on uh, research on that type of disease or uh, other specific uh, activities like uh, alleviation, poverty alleviation because of, um, I, don't, I don't know, the, the disaster that recently happened, for example, in Loreto, the earthquake. Um, so it has been like really specific. Mm -hmm. it, it has been a lot of foreign organizations that have brought these initiatives of uh, supporting different types of, of, of impacts. Um, and most of it comes with uh, a monetary investment. 
So that's one of the things that have uh, actually promoted it. But I think that this wouldn't have been really useful if there weren't already organizations and companies uh, well, doing the right work, working with uh, different communities and uh, maybe not to order but, or structured, but uh, actually doing the, the job generation, the income improvement, the impact generation, um, but also dealing with the business in a proper way. Uh, and then I would say that the third, um, the third uh, kind of factor is actually um, a foreign trend, like in the US or in Europe, uh, having these large companies like, I don't know, in the CPG sector that actually value uh, organic uh, farming or also fair, uh, fair prices. Mm-hmm. or avoiding uh, child work, uh, that, that, those types of, of different activities that actually make the country say, or the different companies say, oh, these practices are the ones that, well, these are the trends that are going to, to happen, and this is what companies outside are going to value. So we need to incorporate them in our own institutions, our own uh, companies, even if you are a large corporation or a, a small enterprise. Uh, so I think that's also uh, a big factor uh, making this change here in, in the region. Yeah, so it sounds like there are a series of factors, and it's not just one that you can point to and say this accounts for the large shift that's yeah. happening. When do you see this uh, this time frame for these companies, whether they're socially driven or they're you know, standard profit companies. When do you see them all kind of converging together in the future? So I think it's it's a tough answer because at least here in, in well, considering between Peru and Colombia, mm-hmm. especially in Peru, I think it's we're a little bit uh, less advanced. I think that Colombia has done a lot of, uh, of, uh, of work uh, towards this type of, uh, of companies, uh, yeah. of incorporating the, this type of impact. But probably because of their own reality, given the, the, the recent civil war between the, the, the government and the, uh, and the, the guerrilla. Uh, in, in, and Colombia. The, in Colombia. In yeah. Colombia, so far. Yeah, yeah. so uh, there has been a peace treaty signed and there's a, a big migration from the military, uh, well, the military segment is actually reincorporating to the regular day-to-day work. So there have been a lot of different initiatives um, supporting this migration, this change from military to regular business. Are you talking about the Colombian military or are you talking about the guerrilla forces? Both. Okay. Actually, it's, it's so, both. So there's been a transition then from both the Colombian military and from the guerrilla forces towards civilian life. Yeah, and there has been a lot of different initiatives providing them with capital uh, or also training so that they would uh, start working in different industries, whether Mm -hmm. it's farming or uh, there has been also initiatives on the hospitality sector uh, because there's a big demand, but between the military forces and guerrilla forces, um, it's not that they have the, the, the skills or mm-hmm. they haven't been trained for that. So there are initiatives that are training them so that they can connect with uh, hotels, restaurants, and start working there. 
So I think that reality has actually uh, made them like uh, speed up on this process and uh, while well, internalizing these types of initiatives. Uh, here, there's also a big wave of social enterprises in Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're a little bit uh, behind because even uh, companies and the investors, uh, it's not that there are too many investors, well, impact investors here. Uh, but there's a good start uh, in the general financial um, well system because there's uh, this program called uh, uh, Responsible Investment Program, the PRI in Spanish, and it's just starting to invest in public companies that have, well that have the stocks well traded, and who implement the the ESG policies. That's at least a more mainstream situation here in, in Peru. Uh, but it's a ESG good start. being environmental, oh, social, sorry. and governance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. And the name of the PRI in Spanish, please? Uh, well, I have my doubts on the PV program. So it would be uh, Programa de Este. Oh, so, so it would be PIR, Programa de Inversión Responsable. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and it's a, a, a regional movement. Regional in the sense that it's across regions in Peru? Oh, in or Latin America. In Latin America, okay. Yeah. So then it's a, a multilateral initiative. Yeah. Okay, so uh, going back to, to talk about the transition from military to civilian for the Colombia environment, does Nest see that as an opportunity to add value to that process somehow? Yeah. So, well, in in the case of Colombia, we have been having interactions and activities um, for around two years. Uh, so we have seen some of the, the activities going on. Uh, but since we're starting there, uh, we're actually seeing a little bit of everything regarding these two types of impacts, mm-hmm. job generation and income improvement but in different sectors. We do see uh, a, a big opportunity in uh, well, this trend that we have been talking about, yeah. uh, especially in the different um, well, organizations and institutions that provide this type of training. We do see an opportunity to support uh, this type of social enterprises. But in those cases, we feel that there are a lot of different initiatives, even well, not a lot of different initiatives, but a big initiative from the government side to provide this type of, of training. Can remember the name of the organization? It's an, an institute, a, a public institute that provides training, uh, mm-hmm. like technical training or also within um, this hospitality sector, yeah. um, which is a really high quality institute. They provide really good education and at very affordable prices. So I think that is a really good and very effective uh, initiative that Colombia has. Yeah. Uh, so that says we feel that that's uh, like well covered, but there, there are also other uh, organizations that could also appear, maybe in other sectors also, uh, where we would see opportunities to, to support. And of course, well, it sounds like the ideal scenario would be to support a company founded by one of these transitioning members, right? From military or from guerrilla 
to civilian and then have them start their own company, which then could be part of the Nest portfolio at some point in the future. Yeah, definitely. I think that those are uh, kind of the best cases of the work that we do, mm-hmm. where the actual, well, the actual communities can develop, develop themselves on, and on their own. Like we can provide some support, but then it's their show and they want it to be their show. Because they, they, well, between feeling empowered and also having all the skills, yeah. they can develop their own uh, organizations, their own communities. And I think that's uh, the, what we are aiming to, to do in every case. Mm. Uh, it's not that it will happen in every case, but we hope that it can, can happen. Sure, sure. Curious what your thoughts are on the Venezuelan migration crisis. Because to date, I believe over 3 million Venezuelans have emigrated from Venezuela. Of course, there are a significant number of them here in Peru. It's hard not to notice them, whether they are in restaurants or they are at traffic lights trying to sell something. But I understand in Colombia, there are even more Venezuelans there oh, really? ah. than, than here. Actually, I haven't realized that, but... And what I don't see in particular is clear on-ramps for them to integrate better into, for example, Peruvian society. I can't speak to the context in Colombia, but here, you know, having spoken to to Venezuelans, some who are here working formally and some who are trying to make ends meet by selling gum on the street, uh, it seems that the support is kind of uh, uneven, I'd say. And then, so then the question is, okay, you have this pool of talent, right? Of course, not all are professionals, but they're all in search of a better life having left Venezuela. What, what do you do with, with all this, this human capital, right? Yeah, so, well, and this is more speaking as Javier, well, the, the person, but I, I do feel that, well, there's some initiatives that have started supporting specifically the formalization of uh, Venezuelan immigrants. Uh, it's not that there are too, too many initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also because uh, in general, uh, Peru, well, at least speaking about Peru, but I feel that there's still a lot of work just for the like, a work, uh, there's a lot of work to do uh, just for the the Peruvian community that uh, well the low income communities, so that that's where the kind of the complexity of the problem sure. arises because there are still a lot of very poor people in well in every city. There are a lot of unmet needs still. Yeah, so uh, I feel that that's a, a big complication of generating additional or more. Uh, initiatives like the ones I'm mentioning on uh, supporting uh, Venezuelan immigrants. Yeah. That's that's why I feel that it, it's an even. Um, also, I think that there's a big gap on the regulation, which actually uh, it's the in the end it's the companies that take advantage of this complexity of the um, well Venezuelan immigrants uh, trying to formalize uh, well trying to get a, a formal job. Uh, mm-hmm. They try to, well, they, in the end, they take advantage of this complexity uh, to provide them with um, a much lower payment and not a formal contract. Yeah. Uh, but I think that there are organizations that um, that actually want to do the right things and they value the 
the the skills that they have because like you mentioned they're very very and highly skilled uh, Venezuelan immigrants uh, mm-hmm. living here in, in Peru and I think that there's a big opportunity uh, maybe not too much um, on like the direct work with them in the sense of uh, job generation for them um, but maybe supporting them uh, like a little bit what we were saying uh, before of empowering them so that they can start their own businesses and with that they can actually uh, well uh, determine the rules of working with others so by supporting them on generating the social enterprises or enterprises in general, or yeah. companies in general, uh, they can say, oh, but we know this, uh, these people, uh, we know them from, from Venezuela, so we know that they, they are good at work, um, they, they also hire, and they also would have a component of job, job generation for Peruvian uh, citizens. So it's a, a little bit less uh, like impactful towards the public, uh, the general public of supporting those type of, of initiatives because you would have okay more like equal rights and job rights for the Venezuelan immigrants but also job generation for Peruvian citizens so I think it it can be an, an interesting approach uh, to, to support this this uh, situation it, it's terrible uh, the things that happen in, in Venezuela as a country uh, because no country should actually have to well experience that type of situation, having really limited resources, not having, not knowing really, um, well, if they would have anything to eat. Not because they cannot afford it, mm-hmm. but because there's just nothing. Um, and, but uh, and I think that's part of the, the the source of the problem. Like there should be something to actually change the situation so that they wouldn't have to, to, to live these experiences here in Peru of being, I don't know, uh, well, having being paid so little and not having yeah. all these different rights just because in their countries where they had a, a natural job, they had really good uh, experience and, sure. and training and would have a, a really good job there. Uh, I think this is more of a, <laughs> a philosophical um, kind of, well, so yeah, pretty, on, on yeah. principles I agree with you. However, the situation is that there are Venezuelans here yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Of course, not all will stay. Some are in transit to Chile. Some are in transit to Argentina. Uh, but for the ones who want to make Peru their home, for better or for worse, I don't really see many opportunities for them or I don't see pathways for them to, for example, like you said, start a company hire Venezuelans, hire Peruvians. Uh, it seems to me that, of course, if they are starting companies, the more successful ones would directly or indirectly benefit the Peruvian economy yeah. at some point. So that's that's why I'm having a bit of trouble trying to understand you know, why there isn't more support, at least for that, if, if it's not just outright aid, which I think you know, your point is certainly fair. And I have heard this point from other Peruvians as well in the sense that and to a certain extent, if you can't take care of your own people, right, how can you be expected to care for, for others? Uh, and I do see that it would be politically inconvenient also to, from the policy perspective to, to do that. Uh, that's not a comment on, on you know, whether it's right or wrong or, or the other case. But 
is Nest or are you interested in exploring opportunities around this? Because to me, it seems like it's it's overlooked. Yeah. So in, in that sense, I don't think that there's a specific focus on that. Uh, I feel that, uh, well, it's actually getting to know more and more of different initiatives uh, going on here. Mm-hmm. And if they match the... Uh, well, the criteria on type of impact, whether they are uh, like of, uh, well, if they are Peruvian or if they are uh, Venezuelan or other nationalities, we would support. I, I don't think that there is an, an specific uh, like focus or program that is being developed right now. Um, I, well, at least in, in the companies uh, from the portfolio, mm-hmm. you would see that there are like Venezuelans joining the teams where if it's part of the, the actual work or part of the of the value chain from the companies. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, we see that there, that there are opportunities, but we see that it's part of the, of the whole deal of being, of supporting the different social enterprises in Peru. Uh, at least I don't think that there is a specific focus from the, our co-founders uh, of uh, making a specific program for that. I see. Uh, last week, I read in Startups Without Borders about a migrant VC fund that was created in, in Italy yeah. for specifically migrants. I don't know if that model is the right one for Peru or Latin America, uh, but uh, I think we both can agree that Latin America is being transformed at the moment by this migration from Venezuela, of, yeah. of Venezuelans. Although interesting to note that it is not the first time that there have been migration of people from other countries. Of course, China, Japan, and Spain, at least those. And I understand that your family came in one of these migration waves. Can you talk a bit about that, please? Yeah, so my grandparents from my father's side and my great-grandparents from my mother's side are Japanese, well, were Japanese. and they migrated here to, to Peru, well, first to Cañete, which is a little bit north of Lima City, mm-hmm. uh, around uh, 90 years ago, or around so. Um, and from there, they started, well, they migrated to Cañete. They started there with different farms. But in the end, along, well, the history of the world, uh, World War II, the situations got complicated for that community, and uh, most of them uh, lost their different uh, well properties and, and different rights uh, mm-hmm. at that uh, that point. Uh, so there was a uh, kind of a second wave of migration, but a shorter one from Cañete uh, to Lima. Uh, a lot of the different Japanese uh, immigrants actually migrated from from Cañete to Lima. Uh, to start working in the farms here or in the stores or if they would have some savings, uh, liquid savings, they would start their own shops and try to sell well different small things. Um, so it, that was actually the story of, uh, of, my, of, of both sides of my family. M- migrated to Lima and well, after a lot of hard work they send their own kids to the university um, and then, well, developing their own, their own businesses. And I'm mm-hmm. lucky enough that, uh, at least in my case, I didn't have to, to, to have that sort of difficulties. 
Um, but I would say it's it, the in the cultural side, it's kind of a kind of complex having that background on one side, uh, because my parents also like educated me um, a little bit on the well the well, Oriental culture. Mm -hmm. uh, have used to have some Japanese classes, but very when I was very small. Um, were very young and then uh, also well not being in an actual Japanese school it was a uh, well uh, more well first in a North American school and then more of a British school uh, so interacting with uh, well Peruvians so I have a mix between the Japanese culture and also being Peruvian I identify myself as uh, well, Peruvian, well, mostly as a Peruvian, but with a Japanese background. Um, mm. We still uh, will keep some of the, the different uh, customs and uh, well, traditions. Yeah. Um, but, uh, well, in the end, we feel we're, we are Peruvian. Uh, and it's a, a difficult spot because uh, for the, Japan, the actual Japanese from yeah. Japan, uh, it's not that you are like related to them or you're like an outsider still um, and for the actual Peruvian community even though this is this has decreased a lot but you, you're also not entirely Peruvian so it's a bit of not knowing from where you're actually at mm. uh, but in the end I think it's also a little bit of luck of finding the right uh, group of friends of people in general uh, where you can actually find your place and and actually develop yourself uh, fully, uh, well, identified and uh, having a little bit of the best of both worlds. Yeah, so have you met many people with a similar background as you who are ethnically Japanese but uh, culturally Peruvian? Yeah, so in, in Peru there is a, a big, uh, big population of Japanese descendants. Uh, but I would say that this is this doesn't only apply for the Japanese Peruvians or, um, but also well Chinese Peruvians, mm -hmm. Italian Peruvians, German Peruvians, and also from different parts of the world. I yeah. well I I I went to study for uh, my graduate school in New York, mm -hmm. and there I also met a lot of uh, well Japanese Americans or Chinese Americans. And I feel it's, it, it happens also, it's similar to, to my situation here in, in Peru. Uh, they're also, they're Americans, but they have these traditions and culture behind them. So, and they adapt uh, to, uh, or identify to both of them. So when, when you were in New York then, you were studying at NYU for your MBA, yeah. correct? And I assume you were meeting lots of new people, right? What, were there interesting reactions when you told them you were Peruvian? Yeah, yeah. so the, the, this, the, this is the, the, the funny part because at, at first, when, well, the first couple of weeks when I would uh, be meeting the almost 400 people in, in the class, uh, well, some of them are, are uh, Latin American, so, and from either Peru, Brazil, or different countries where there's some sort of, uh, of Japanese uh, Latin American uh, communities. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be too much of a, of a surprise. But for meeting uh, the, my American classmates, uh, it was a, a big surprise to all of them. 
because at first they would they would just see me uh, and my location, mm -hmm. uh, but then I would introduce myself as Javier. So that actually makes a, a big uh, a first uh, impact on okay that doesn't sound really uh, Asian or Oriental. Uh, so this was actually that happened to me a lot having that surprise, but it was a, a good surprise. I, I guess it depends if you're introduced as Javier or Mr. Gondo, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, but in the case of the class, uh, this was mainly as uh, we, we would go for us on yeah. first name basis. So, yeah. but but also I'm thinking that it could serve as a good differentiator in the sense that people remember, oh yeah, Javier, who <laughs> is the connection with Peru and Japan somehow. I mean, it's it's impressionable, right? Yeah. Pe people recall that there's a, a, a mashup there somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and wondering wondering if, if that also is an advantage uh, for you being top of mind of some people, right? Well, I, I haven't seen it like that, but yep, I think that, that actually applies. Uh, I think that uh, it, it has been the reason for actually some people remembering and actually remembering who I was having that, that uh, relationship. Hmm. During your time in New York, uh, curious, what's the best memory that you have? Uh, I think there, there were a, a lot. Um, well, between getting to know people from different backgrounds, from different uh, world nationalities, uh, and keeping those relationships until now, uh, that actually um, come, in, come in very handy because I think that a lot of the different companies from that we that we work with here mm -hmm. at Nest can actually develop some sort of partnership with uh, those different regions, but uh, I would say that the a particular memory or group of memories would be during the uh, Hurricane Sandy uh, time. Okay. So it was I I used to live so 2011, uh, right? No, that was uh, end of 2012. So the first end year where I was there. Okay. Um, and, uh, well, I think this, this was uh, a good memory, apart from the, besides the, the different disasters that happened around that time, but I used to live at the dorms, uh, the NYU dorms, uh -huh. uh, and we had that part of the city, didn't have any electricity or very limited electricity at that time, and they had their own uh, generator, but mm -hmm. they would provide electricity to one floor, which was the, the, the open and shared uh, spaces. Uh, so we would be, like the different people from the graduate school, we would be hanging out even more. Uh, mm -hmm. Like that actually uh, pressured us to uh, interact more with each other. So I think that around that time, that allowed me to meet much more closely with yeah. these other uh, with friends. And I think, well, something good came out of this uh, tragedy. Yeah. So in, in a way, the, the hurricane and, of course, the power outage forced you into the common, the communal areas, yeah. and you interacted more and, and formed closer bonds. So you found that, that silver lining, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But everything else was okay, yeah. right? No, yeah. In that sense... Uh, well, everything, well, we it wouldn't last too long. Like it was maybe two weeks that we would be in that situation, yeah. uh, and then things got well. That's one of the, the of the advantages there. 
like here with these disasters, I'm not sure if you've uh, heard uh, about different disasters between earthquakes that happened a long time ago in Ica, for example, it's quite close to, to Lima, uh, but reconstruction hasn't been finished yet, and it's been more than 10 years. Whereas in, in New York, particularly in that case, um, it actually got solved. Well, not solved completely, but it went pretty, like, it got better really quickly. Yes, uh, the, the repairs, the surface repairs were made, although you know, the areas that were prone to flooding then are still prone to yeah. flooding now and yeah. actually probably at more risk and will continue to be at more risk as the sea levels uh, rise in the future. So in in New York, at one point, uh, you made a decision to to come back to Peru, right? Did you know you you had wanted to work for Nest at that point? Or or were you coming back here and kind of like keeping your options open and trying to, I mean, two years, I don't think there was, I don't know, maybe was there a reintegration process into Lima again? Not really. So uh, first, uh, yeah, so when I went to, to do my MBA, uh, I always had the, the plan to, to, to come back uh, because my main goal for the MBA was to, well, first uh, to deepen more my knowledge regarding investing, having more active role because uh, prior to, to the MBA, I was working in a, well, a private equity fund here in Peru, focused in mm-hmm. middle market, uh, large caps, well, here. And, uh, but my main focus for the MBA was, well, to remain within that sector, so private investments, uh, investing and supporting enterprises and corporations. But uh, the main focus for me there was to learn more about uh, how to support, uh, well, early stage between startups and enterprises in general uh, because that's where I feel that the most need uh, currently exists here in, in, well, in Latin America in general. There are not too many organizations that support this early stage and there's the same amount of like large cap funds uh, fighting for the same deals on the large caps. Yeah. Whereas the most opportunity would be to support early stages, develop them to a next stage, maybe a middle market, and from the middle market, uh, support them to becoming large. And that's how this becomes, well, it benefits because the, the, the industry grows much more and you don't have to be fighting with the same other funds uh, and limit also the, the amount of capital um, being invested in, in, the, in the country or, or the region. So that was my, my main focus. Uh, that's why also I love the, the idea of working in, in well, studying in, in New York, mm-hmm. having this startup, startup scenery much more developed. And this was in a, in a point in time where here in Peru, maybe the year before I went to, to New York in 2012. Uh, so in 2011, um, the movement kind of started here for the startups. Uh, WIDA started uh, providing investments here in, in Peru. This is the, um, uh, the accelerator for Telefonica, right. uh, this telecom company. But there weren't too many initiatives, like even speaking about startups. Uh, actually, we started uh, the first startup weekend uh, being organized here in Lima in 2011. Um, 
2011, and that's why I wanted to, to, to move to, to New York, learn more about this, uh, learn more about entrepreneurship, managing growing companies, mm -hmm. and I think that that's why I learned a lot about that in, yeah. during the MBA, and wanted to apply this to, to, to Peru. Um, and in the in, well, when I came back, there wasn't too much of a, a readjustment because I would be speaking regularly with my family. So in that sense, there wasn't too much uh, change. And even though I didn't stay too much in, in touch with my friends here in, in Peru, uh, I would visit them when I would be here for the holidays. But um, Still, I, I, well, until now, I work a lot, so it's not that I would see mm -hmm. them too regularly, but uh, there wasn't too much, uh, like, readjustment. And meeting Nest, it was, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, destiny, fate, or just a curious thing that happened. Uh, but I did know Nest from before, uh, yeah. but uh, I think that... It was just luck that I entered uh, LinkedIn, I, and within my feed, I actually saw the position for portfolio manager here in, in Nest, and I applied, and the rest is history. Like I ended up, uh, well, going through the process and starting working here, mm -hmm. and it's been uh, amazing almost four years. Wow. Yeah. So it's it sort of, I guess destiny or, or serendipity, <laughs> different <laughs> ways to describe it for sure. And, and so then uh, as, as you're looking to the future, do you see there being more activity in the Andean region as it relates to your portfolio outside of Peru or, or inside Peru? Do you, do you, I mean, how much time do you split right now between Colombia and Peru and the rest of the region? Well, I would say that right now I would be more focused I would say right now, 90-10, 90 being uh, Peru, 10 being, uh, well, outside Peru, mm -hmm. and probably that 10% just in, in Colombia. Um, but I would say that uh, maybe in the next three months, it's going to be a little bit uh, half and half uh, between Peru and uh, Colombia. Because yeah. uh, at last we, well, we, last year, uh, it was, there was a, a new fund launched. Uh, focused on not the early stage, but a little bit further. So companies uh, with revenue, annual revenues of 150 to maybe a couple of million dollars uh, that would require funding. Well, this is a loan fund um, and would provide loans of uh, between 100 and half a million dollars. Hmm. Um, and this is also focused on uh, what the Andean region uh, we have well currently we have two companies that have been accepted by the by the investment committee, and currently doing uh, well the contract uh, writing the, the signing. Uh, both of them are here in Peru, but we are seeing a lot of activity also in Colombia. So that's why probably I would split uh, half and half between Peru and Colombia. And do you see more growth of homegrown investment firms, or do you see more foreign interest into the region? So I would say a little bit of both, uh, because, well, in, in the impact investment side, I would say this is more foreign mm -hmm. uh, movement or trend, um, but uh, in the general investing area, I would say it's half and half. There are a lot of different family offices, 
that have become much more active, uh, or if it's here or in Colombia, for example. Um, it's actually a really good surprise from here in Peru uh, that a lot of family offices are much more active. But I would say that there would still be a really big inflow from uh, foreign funds, mm -hmm. uh, mainly because I see a lot of opportunities in sectors that are much more related to uh, foreign clients, uh, where if it's CPG uh, companies working with biodiversity here in, in the region, um, but the, the main clients or that would end up also being uh, really good investors uh, would also be these international corporations that are investing in different countries. Uh, one example, a specific example is um, uh, AB InBev, this, um, uh, the beer company. Right. They launched, uh, I don't know how long ago, I think this is pretty recent, but they have uh, their incubator or accelerator called uh, SetX Ventures, mm -hmm. which are focused on drinks, where if it's also like artisanal uh, breweries, yeah. they, in their own accelerator office in New York, I think this is, they have their own brewery also, but they are also developing other drinks, uh, kombucha, uh, different other products. And I think that there's also a big opportunity for those types of initiatives to be developed in countries like Peru or Colombia, Brazil, that have a lot of uh, biodiversity and a lot of, of products that are being uh, tried and tested on um, medicinal uh, well, uh, characteristics or yeah. if they're healthier. Um, like um, in, within my work at Nest, I've come into um, products like uh, Ungurawi, uh, which is a specific fruit that grows in the jungle of Peru, which is uh, very similar to the acai. Mm -hmm. And because of the um, uh, antioxidants and certain other components, uh, it's uh, really healthy for, for people to, to, to consume it. Uh, acai, there's a big trend on acai in the US, sure. in Europe, and the tests for the Ungurawi are actually uh, showing that it's even more beneficial than the acai. So uh, I think that there's also going to be a big trend there, hopefully with all the different processes and applying to the different um, well, stages of entering the, these markets. I think it's going to be a good opportunity. Uh, and this doesn't only grow here in Peru. I think it's, there's an opportunity to, for other countries. And examples like that are things that huh. I, I feel really motivated that it's not only going to be uh, well, the investors here, but also foreign. And with that foreign movement, I think it's going to attract even more investors from, well, uh, from local investors. Yeah, this kind of virtual cycle almost. Huh? So Uruguay is going to be the new Asai. It's, it's uh, so it's called Ungurawi. Ungurawi? Uh -huh. Well, I'll send you the, the actual, how it's spelled, but it, it's Please a weird do. name. Yeah. Is that Quechua? Uh, I would say that, no. So the, maybe, um, uh, maybe Awahun. So it's, this oh, is in the, in the jungle. The so it's one of the, yeah, of the dialects from the um, communities in the jungles. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because clearly I've never heard of it because <laughs> I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough word. Yeah. As we draw to a close, I would like to give you the opportunity to talk about anything I haven't asked you about, and that can range from you or Nest or Lima, Peru, or if um, 
you'd like to share, for example, the best advice you'd ever received, it's completely open-ended. Well, the, those open-ended words are, are the worst and the best also, uh, because it's tough to, to actually point in, in one direction. Uh, I would say that I, I would like to, to take advantage of this time to, to talk about, uh, well, Peru and uh, in general. Uh, sure. Well, as a Please country, there is, like we've mentioned around this, uh, this interview, there are a lot of different complexities between the politics, uh, also a social uh, well, instability, social unrest, um, which has happened mainly because of uh, really big uh, growth rates in the past uh, couple of years, maybe in the past 10 to 15 years. Um, well, not only in Peru, but also in the region. Mm-hmm. But that growth hasn't really come along with a, an equal growth for everyone. So that's a, the main, uh, I would say, the main disadvantage now. Um, and we as, as, as Nest, uh, we also feel it because we see that there are a lot of different initiatives supporting, uh, well, stopping to support uh, Latin America um, because of, well, the, the, the economics say uh, Latin America is growing a lot, it has improved a lot, but the reality is that given that this, this big level of inequality is actually uh, making the, the, the support uh, even lower because uh, the support from foreign institutions would leave mm-hmm. and the order in the same countries uh, is not really ordered. So uh, I would say that a lot of different supports in, well, from different organizations are still mm-hmm. uh, required and needed, uh, but it's one of the things that we're actually working on right now, trying to, to make this change. And also that's why we've developed this new fund so that we can, well, we support uh, early stages, but we want to see those early stages go into a next stage and also getting the, the support and funding uh, for those next stages. Uh, after that, there are some other organizations that can support them in the following stages. But I think that there's still a really big uh, gap in this kind of missing middle um, uh, here in, in general in the region, uh, considering cases Colombia and, and Peru. So I would say that uh, well, it's an amazing place to, to visit, uh, where if it's Peru or Colombia, you have a really big diversity of places. In Peru, you have well the beach part, the coastal area, the Andes and the, the jungle. So you can, in, I don't know, two weeks, uh, maybe a whole month, you can actually have really different uh, experiences here. Yeah, and uh, of course, have access to a variety of cuisines as well. Yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Javier, I think on that note, uh, thanks very much for the time you took for the interview. I really liked how you were able to identify a gap and then you went straight for your, your MBA to, to get the skills to help fill that gap here in Peru. Definitely looking forward to uh, your growth with Nest and the fund and also uh, as you continue to make an impact in the region. Hopefully I can be uh, of help and impact, and well, you're very welcome to, to come and visit anytime you want. Thank you. Until next time, take care. Thank you. I'm keenly interested in impact investing and social enterprises, so it was an absolute joy to speak with Javier about these and other relevant topics that I love learning about. Thank you, Javier.
I hope you'll join me next week when we sit down with the co-founder and CEO of a fitness-oriented startup that is pioneering a new type of membership in Peru. Thank you for listening.